Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hey! That's all. Only yeah, Duncan. Just me. For all of you Keyframes, fanboys, fangirls, fan pals, wanting to see Ben x Duncan mashup for our uh, podcast hosting panel, uh, your wish has finally been answered. <laughs> Uh, I think it's Duncan X Ben, frankly. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? You're the same, and I'm the, I'm the. Okay, okay. I well, guess. we'll get to to characters and their opinions on that at some point. Since that is... right, right, we are talking about uh, about otaku, and I guess to some extent Fujoshi. Hmm. Um, I made a big deal last episode, like should we include Fujoshi? But then I realized that all the stuff I was watching to prep has heavy Fujo elements. <laughs> I guess we're not supposed to use that anymore. Female otaku elements. Um, so I mean, yes, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> I mean, there has been a, a, a small Japan-focused campaign about how Fujo, Fujoshi is a slur, or at least it's their word and not the rest of the world. Mm, so yeah, I forget because it because it's accepted. Um, and, but so before then, we've got a really <laughs> odd grab bag of things. Andy uh, reminded me that uh, Aka Thirteen. What is it even called? Aka, 13 like prefectures, I think, or something. 13, yep, 13 prefecture inspection department yeah. has a 40-minute OVA slash mini-movie that's kind of an epilogue, and I watched it uh, about three hours ago, and it... Exists? Yes. Well, so we talked a bit about Aka. I know that John... Um, and Andy were way more into it than I was. I found it kind of charming. It has a lot of the good touches that the Full Metal Alchemist guy really brought to it. Mm. I think it had a very like interesting art style where everyone had very like tired-looking faces, which <laughs> appealed to me as a tired person. But it was a, a politics anime that was just like really obscure, and there was lots of twists and turns, and there was this whole thing about about the like supervising board of the country, which is shaped like a bird uh, <laughs> planning a coup using this guy who is in the inspection department, the titular Aka 13 precinct inspection department uh, to supplant the King. And he just kind of refused to go along with the coup. So the coup collapsed <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's how the show kind of ends. Yeah. Um, and then this is, like, they're planning for the one-year anniversary of Akka now being, like, a direct supervising body of the government as opposed to being under the board of five chief officers, which was the, the thing that fell because of the coup. And there's implications that there may be this weird—there may be, like, another coup coming from the—unfortunately, the one precinct that's— got all the Muslim looking people and is in the desert. Uh, um, they were revealed to be disloyal and their, their leadership was plotting along with the, with the coup people. And they're like, well, will they try another coup? And that's like 30 minutes of the episode. And then it's just like, Oh no, no, there's no, there's no coup happening. And he's like, oh, okay, good. And then like, he's worried about his sister wanting a career yeah. and he talks to her teacher or like her advisor and her advisor talks to her about like, it's okay not to know what you want to do when you're 18. And she's like, really? And he's like, yeah, that's, that's the entire thing. It completely, perfectly encapsulates every feeling good and bad that I had about Aka, <laughs> where it is kind of like chill and attractive to watch, and the individual performances are good, but it is a show where 
where they tell you that something's happening and then the reveal is that nothing's happening or that less is happening <laughs> than you thought was happening. Uh, and that stuff drives me up a wall. Um, so did you watch Aka? I forget. Yeah, I did. It, it was, I was never, I think the thing is, the reason you don't remember uh, whether or not I watched it is because unlike Andy and John, I was like, eh, it's all right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. I don't, it's really weird to like, I was talking with John earlier this week and he like, was like, oh yeah, man, I really miss Aka. It was a really great show. And because because I love John and I don't want to hurt him, <laughs> I, I didn't want to be like, really? Really? Because I don't remember anything I really liked about it. Can you tell me what you liked about it? John would be just like, I just liked it. Shut up. Um, which is fair. It's an anime. But yeah, it was just very... I, I'm interested if you watch it, Duncan, because uh, I think it is on Crunchyroll okay. worldwide. And report back. Because it, it it's like them just planning for a festival. But then weirdly, he meets with someone for like coffee 15 minutes in. And they're like, yeah, there's probably still going to be a coup. And everyone's like, oh shit. And so they spend all this time like worrying about the coup. And then it just occurs it. Occurs it. Mm. So I, I like like that you basically take the the sort of Full Metal Alchemist slash Legend of the Galactic Heroes political plotting and just end up with someone who just rather eat cake and drink yeah. coffee. And it's like, well, that seems a lot of stress. I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm pretty happy actually. Let, let's just. I just want to give my sister a chance to to do what she wants, and I want to laze around in my easy job and uh, collect my paycheck and. Right, that'll yeah. do me. And sm- and smoke his government banned cigarettes because that's one of the weird features of the setting is that like cigarettes are banned and you have to have like a government dispensation to smoke them, hmm. um, which is which of course means that he's just smoking all the time, but no one else is smoking or asks him for a cigarette. Well, but actually, smoking is smoking doesn't appear often in anime these days. I, I think it's it was definitely something which in older things appeared more, and like yeah. seeing it pop up in Akka. It will actually come up in one show I'll talk about later as well, but it's mm-hmm. it's not something you you see as often. It, it for a long time it was like a a shorthand. You you want yeah. to 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 have the the character sitting at the bar with a, a, a cig- cigarette or, or yeah, it was a it was a salaryman look or a yakuza look. Oftentimes mm-hmm. to be just a heavy smoker or, or the holding s- on chain smoker or the stressed scientist or whatever. Yeah, that's true, but like. The last thing I think I saw before Aka, this Aka OVA, was someone smoking it, I think, was was Run With The Wind, where you have a character whose whole thing is that he smokes <laughs> and probably should quit, which is yeah. not... Which, I mean, occasionally in anime you'd get characters, especially if a girl was hugging a guy who smoked a bunch, she would she would be like, oh, you smell like cigarettes. <laughs> uh, which I think is just a, <laughs> a universal experience of people who smoke, mm. is having people just randomly say that. But... No, it, I mean, I'm glad I watched it, but it really is just interesting to have a show that is about, like, quiet and leisure and, like, small, intimate conversations with people. Um, there's a nice thing where when uh, the main character, Jean, uh, Jean, Jean slash Jean, I don't know because it's being pronounced in Japanese, hmm. so I can't, don't know if they're going for the French or the English pronunciation, but you think French? He's trying it? to figure out like what if it's what's going on with his sister, and so he like sits down with his with a couple of his high school friends, and he's like, "How do we figure out what we're going to do f- in life?" 
and neither of them can really remember. They have like trite stuff of like, oh yeah, well we were just like looking and you decided to do this. And he's like, yeah, but like, what were we thinking? Like, why was that our decision? And they can't remember. And that's like well observed. <laughs> and like I said, like intimate and cozy and they're, they are in all the precincts. If you recall listeners, all the precincts are like themed and they're in the snow, the snow precinct that like makes, that grows rye to make rye bread and um, and beer or okay. and, and a beer or a liquor. And so that's like what they <laughs> like. So they're snowed in, in a, like a bake shop slash bar drinking shots of, I guess, rye vodka and, and eating sort of, one slices of, things, of bread. Yeah. I sort of like that about Altaka that it didn't particularly like try it for any strong plausibility in its little fictional land it was like a, a giant island shaped like a bird yeah and, they warn and, you from step one that like this is not <laughs> and, not then, that and then as you say each each province is each prefecture is is more like a uh, a stereotype than, than a real place and it's yeah it's more just them investigating is, 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 I think there's a bit of like the culinary tourist to it in in a way. Yeah. Cause oh, it, definitely. It, 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 def- it did very much like showing. Oh, this is this region's speciality, and like oh, seeing this lovely rendered beer and, and yeah. sandwiches and ice cream and all these different things. And, and then we'll go to p- Potato Land next, the, the 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 grain belt, which makes grain and potatoes. So yeah, it's and like that's the sort of thing that i kind of liked about aka was that it had a weirdly fairy tale aspect like the fact that like the the king lives in this like massive disney like castle castle of mad king ludwig castle hmm. um and that everyone kind of the higher up you are in the society the more you dress like uh ancien regime french nobility uh but then everyone else below them dresses in just kind of like the vaguely military uniform that dozens I mean, and dozens of anime have taught us to got, expect. It's got to have a, at least a little bit of a legend of galactic heroes. <laughs> yes, there's that too. But I like the fairy tale vibe of it. And then just it being this kind of like really hard nosed politicking. I mean, I guess I never connected with it and that's as much on me as it, but it was nice to like, it, it felt a lot like having as a child, because this this show aired back in spring 2017, so I was just basically a child then. Yeah. But sure. <laughs> to have gone as a child to a place and like remembering having like a decent time, but not great, mm-hmm. and then you go there as an adult, and you're like, oh yeah, it's still just kind of like fine. I I know that we've banned fine as an anime <laughs> description, but like it is just like oh, it was it was fine to go back there, uh, which stands in sharp contrast to the other thing that I've been watching lately, uh, which I've alluded to, but tried to hold off on because we thought about maybe doing a tween and so i won't be very specific if in case we do do a tween on it but i have been watching 1996's vision of escaflone by sunrise and directed by fuck it escapes me what's his name stars line dude mm-hmm. uh, uh akane kazuki you're asking uh, me for a name you love this isn't you, gonna you, happen you, uh, no you love him he's great yeah, he but, gave a he gave uh, a great uh, interview about, uh, about oh yeah that, that interview is a hundred percent just like before we get fully onto the anime he, he sure did, absolutely he, he did a interview about his work on stars line now we we talked a bit about stars line um in previous shows but the a bit. the it's a great show and the thing which is significant about it is that it deals quite subtly with issues around gender and uh, sexuality and in anime that that really makes you stand out even compared to like wider western me- wider media worldwide that 
anime has a very tone-deaf attitude to it because people just go on cliches and, um, <laughs> like, it's the... Is it Oka, Oka, Okama? The, Okama, yeah, which is the, also considered a, increasingly considered a slur, yeah, unfortunately. Like, like um, I think... J- uh, John was recently complaining about how an, an, another series which uh, aired at the same time, um, uh, the Sh- Sherlock. Um, oh uh, yeah, show um, completely oh, right. and That's utterly the... <sighs> nosedived because it had a uh, really cliched and sort of reveal uh, about a, a sort of Jack the Ripper character being a crossdresser and just using right, it. Right, it's the whole idea of that, of it being mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. The cheapest cliche. Whereas in Stars Aligned, it was just, this is another part of their character. It's, it's who they are and it's fundamentally part of them, but it's, it's, they're not a cliche. They're just this person. And <laughs> like, just to, just to see that subtly, it was like, oh yeah, that's a really nice job. And it and he's done this interview recently with uh, Anime News Network, where he talks about his process for that. And the, the, the standout, it's it's a great interview in in its totality. But the standout thing was just the simple line of, so how did how did you 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 uh, know how to do this difficult subject? And it's I just went out and talked to people. Who, yeah. who have lived this. And I asked them what it was like, and I, I used that to inform what I did. And, like, that's just such a simple thing for a director to, to do, but so fundamentally changed the output for the better that it just gave me, like, yes, that 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 is a good director. This is a, uh-huh. a what you are supposed to do. You You go out into the world and you let it inform your work. And you produce something which, in turn, people can watch and will see them, their world, their world, and themselves in. And yeah, it was just a, a great little interview. Now, back to other worlds. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just so Escaflone had a, had a kind of troubled production. Uh, it was an attempt. Uh, it originally was just kind of supposed to be a weird robot setting in keeping with some of the other weird robot settings uh, of the of the mid-90s where the kind of post-Eva mech boom meant that uh, <laughs> cargo cult-like people were like, oh, so we can drop giant robots into a psychological apocalyptic thriller – uh, what other what other <laughs> micro genres can we drop them into? And funnily enough, with Escaflone, it wasn't the first giant robot in a fantasy setting anime to be made because that goes to Ara Battler Dubine or Dubine, uh, which is also by Sunrise from a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's not even the first giant robot in a fantasy setting anime targeted at. at female viewers that would go to magical night ray earth uh but it does have this very it got kind of retrofitted with this like oh we're gonna give it a very shoujo look all the characters have like the very like angular fine-boned features Mm -hmm. that you're used to like Mm -hmm. huge eyes triangle torsos everyone has like long hair that's constantly being snatched at by the wind uh and it's it's got kind of like a nice combination between like bright primary colors and a bit more of a pastel shade uh even like 
the bad guys have like mint hair, like mint colored hair as opposed to something a bit more striking. Mm -hmm. But it's just been incredible for how it feels like it feels like nothing else I've watched in a very long time. And I think there's a couple of good articles about this. I'll see if I can find one for the show notes about how like everyone liked Escaflone and it was a fairly big hit, but it didn't really influence anyone materially. A lot of people who were, Yes. I mean, in some ways. I, I don't want to oversell it because I mm. do know that the second core kind of takes a nosedive because uh. of some planning stuff that I'll get into, get into in a second. But it had a bunch of really important pieces. It's got a Yoko Kano soundtrack. It's Maya Sakamoto's um, first role, which we know we know her most recently um, from being uh, Inokuma on Chihai Afuru. But she's just this incredibly storied pop pop star and voice actress and this is her first role and she also okay, sings cool. the she sings the absolutely smash hit opening song which has is one of my favorite ops up there with the uh record of lotus war chronicles of the heroic knight op but escaflone is better than that one. yeah I was, I was gonna say i think it was either you or jeff who posted the the op and i was like ooh, pretty. yeah it's very because it's very too. it's it's very embedded in its uh, in its time. This is a strongly immediately post Eva mecha anime, but it's also kind of catching on another a couple of other trends. Like it's a proto isekai where this girl gets stolen away by weird magic to Earth's hidden moon, where there's hmm. massive wars being fought by uh, these robots called Gaimalefs, which are powered by fossilized dragon hearts, which there's a massive industry to to dig up. Um, but on the other hand, it has a lot of features that I think are more common to its contemporaries than to either to its contemporaries in shoujo works rather than to its contemporaries in the giant okay. robot or the eventual genre of isekai that would eventually codify with Sword Art Online and Log Horizon and even Dot Hack. That I mean, where yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's written i mean the the mangas that were that were also done because it was the whole thing where you develop it simultaneously develop a manga and uh mm. garage kits we'll talk about that <laughs> in, in the second half speaking of and manga and anime and all that all the, together um so it's was written for a shoujo trade but it's got such strong elements um hitomi is a kind of a supporting character where she has special powers, uh, including she's really good at tarot, like really good at tarot. And that has intervened in the plot multiple times with her doing readings for characters. Like she had to convince someone that she was, uh, that she had these supernatural powers and he's like, just try to impress me. And she lays out this tarot reading. She like goes through his like tortured childhood backstory based on what the cards tell her. And he likes, he's like, he's like, that's enough. You, you convinced me, please stop. Please stop telling me about my abused childhood. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so she is kind of passive, but she also is the emotional heart in a way that I think I'm a lot used a lot used to with shoujo works. Uh, it's super melodramatic where there's two guys she's in love with, one of them who looks like her high school crush before she got stolen away. And there's just this there's a bunch of dramatic stuff and it's also very 90s where there's angel boys with wings and there's cat girls <laughs> with tails. And it's just... I think I said something like it feels like I'm 17 and I've driven over to my friend Chuck's house. Um, well, he's kind of a friend of a friend. And I heard there were going to be girls there and we were like going to hang out. But there are no girls there. But this is playing on the screen. And so I just like what it looks like something that you just like randomly discover because it has no. I'm giving it these examples of connective tissue, but it really feels like it's kind of just this. 
again, singular work makes it sound like I'm saying like, oh, it's it's a lost gem, but it is kind mm. of trashy and kind of goofy, but it is like something where there aren't really you don't have this pedigree because it's being made by Sunrise, the, mm-hmm. the Gundam people. Um, it, but it's part of all these attempts to like make other franchises. Like I mentioned, Ara Babbler. Was, was, was Escafloni pre or post Mustachio Gundam? Uh, turn A? Yeah. You mean? Uh, turn, turn A is 1999 to 2000. Um, Escafloni is 1996 to 1997. Okay. So it is, it is slightly pre, but it is, it, you can tell that they had these kind of other trying to make like okay make a giant robot that that has no overlap with the Gundam fandom Mm -hmm. and you have all these experiments and I do feel like a lot of those do fold back into the Gundam franchise with turn a and the late 90s and post-millennial takes on on the Gundam franchise I can't speak to that that much because I haven't watched that many Gundam that'd be a Jeff that would be a that would be a Jeff job but it is. I just really enjoyed watching it, and it feels exciting because it's so fast paced, and it just it really does feel like I have just unearthed an insect preserved in amber, and I'm getting because I was very aware of Escaflone, but even though I've watched the movie version, which I think was made in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and is much more, much less romantic, much more like dramatic, mm-hmm. thriller, panic thing. Um, and it's got a very different art. It's very weird, like super duper angular, even more so than than the typical I'm, shoujo I'm, style. I'm more intrigued by what you're saying about its its changing art style than its changing direction. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much they tried to like cut all the cruft out of Escaflone, which Escaflone already has like absolutely jam. Every episode is like a million things happen. And it's a sort of thing where I literally had to the episode before last. I had to like something. I saw something at the end. I'm like. Wait, what? And I had to rewind and just like rewatch the past five minutes of the episode because I'd like glanced down at my phone and missed just like a major development of someone getting captured because it just happened really fast. And the idea of like, because it was original. So at one point, this is the infamous rumor. At one point, very early in the pitch process, it was pitched as 39 episodes. And then they did, they, before this is before any of like the storyboard or anything. And then they had to, they cut it down to 24 episodes. I think, or 26, um, one of the two. And so that was why, for years, why people blamed uh, the really fast-paced stuff and the way that kind of in the second the second core, like there's just a lot of th- plot threads that get buried emergency-like to, to get them out of the way. And people are like, oh yeah, this is obvious because it was meant to be 39 episodes. But it turns out that no, it was always meant to be, meant to be the episodes it aired at and it just kind of had too many ideas and someone possibly uh, Akane Kazuki himself just wasn't willing to kill his darlings but it does also make for just like at least at this point it's not really ruining it for me that there's just so much going on and they're constantly on the run because they're just it, it actually kind of feels a lot like a final, an early Final Fantasy plot like pre Final Fantasy 7 plot where they're being chased by these this massive hyper mechanized army that's flying around in floating castles and has like cloaking devices on their on their mechs and one of the reasons that Hitomi is valuable is that she has like like a vague ability to like know where one of them is because otherwise they just can't fight against them because how do you fight against invisible dudes in like the middle ages <laughs> so uh but it's, it's so fast and they're just like moving from place to place and they're constantly being pursued and meanwhile we're finding out like all of this the backstory of the characters and it just feels like a very very full and it's, it's a storytelling style that is 
rawer and less organized and very melodramatic and it just feels unpolished not in an appearance or performance way but unpolished in a storytelling way that also brings me very much in mind of like the mid to late 90s mm. when you could just have say Trigon where it is literally <laughs> just an action comedy for the first 12 episodes and then becomes a super hardcore depressing like pain and survival story for the, <laughs> for the second half of the show and those sort of like tonal whiplashes that seem kind of like I, I feel like very rarely would you get that these days there's uh, something that you would... in, in the tone and in the way you're talking about this which sort of reminds me of the way we talk about Flowers of Evil at times and <laughs> that, I, that, that would much... be a very surprising connection for me but if you want to elucidate it, it I'm yeah, happy to hear I more think this, I think the thing is it's it's not necessarily about it's that as you say it it doesn't it sounds like something where its ancestry is is muddled and it's has fathered no children uh, and <laughs> that it it is singular and that it doesn't have to be perfect to be singular and significant for that and i'm i'm honestly honestly intrigued by it and and like the idea of of this show which just was a direction something could have gone in and explored yeah. ideas which people just didn't in the end. Yeah, it does it does feel like kind of just one of those inexplicable evolutionary dead ends um that is very interesting and exciting to watch because I don't know what trope there I know that this Escaflon is pretty tropey but I don't know which tropes until they're actually happening um because this is in a lot of ways being told as like oh no girl has to choose between two guys fighting for her uh which is kind of the standard Gundam love triangle uh mm. you've got the cool guy and the hot-headed guy and then the passive girl but this is very strongly framed we get very little of either Vaughn the deposed king of Fenelia or Alan the knight extraordinaire who looks a lot like her crush we get very little of their inner lives except when hitomi is divining it literally with with <laughs> these tarot cards and so it doesn't necessarily invert a lot of the typical tropes of giant robot anime that have been established over the past 15 years um from the early 80s until the mid 90s but at the same time it's the fact that it's just being told from a from a, a female character's point of view is probably depressingly refreshing <laughs> in a way but it i don't know it just it does feel like like why did this not get popular and it's because like oh wow in the in the late 90s there was a lot of like differing visions for how different subgenres of anime were going to shake out and escaflone was responsible for a lot of important and influential people getting their start but mm. the work that they did on escaflone is still kind of just as i said a dead end um, it's very hard to talk about something that is impressive and important, but not in the usual ways we talk about impressiveness and importantness mm -hmm. uh, uh, without either sounding like it's using word that's either words are either pejorative or overly complimentary. Yeah. But but yeah, and it just it looks gorgeous. It's just the kind of hand drawn shit that you don't see anymore. The same reason that I like uh, Turn A Gundam, which I think is the last hand drawn uh 
Gundam before they switched over to digital too. And it looked, I mean, I've talked before about turn A just looks stupendous. Every single frame is a painting to borrow that literally podcast (laughs) title. Uh, But yes, literally too. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm excited for the people to watch it and I would love to like just go through it and then watch the, the movie, which is very different in terms of tone and presentation. Uh, But it's been exciting, it's especially after I came off of fucking Space Brothers, which mm. made me feel like I've like I've seen everything. Um, and then to watch Escaflone and then be like, oh, that anime that like a few girls and guys in high school and early college, mostly girls, but some guys were just like, oh, Escaflone is so good. And I think I mostly just didn't watch it because I thought the name was dumb, which it is dumb <laughs> because it's a portmanteau of escape like adventure and flow like calming or peaceful river uh and then nay uh which i just guess makes it sound more like exotic but that's literally what the what the background of the name is escape flow escape river um adventure river is what the naming is supposed to be uh Mm -hmm. but no i would like the other people to watch it and and tell me if i'm completely out of bounds i know that jeff had some interest too uh Plus, he's also kind of our giant robot guy by default, even though I'm the one who watched Space Runaway Day on. So he says with it's like like deep sort of resentment. It was and very pride. hard. It was it was a very it's a lot of work. It's and like, it I, paid I off, this. but <laughs> it paid off, but not in a way where I could be like, hey, you should do this, too, which is a lot of how my anime viewing like, goes. recognize my suffering. OK, it looks like it's 26 episodes. Yes. To, to correct it completely <laughs> there. It's like Andy's with us in spirit. We had a minor correction that no one cares about. Um, yeah. And so let's let's move on to something which is a little more recent vintage, but equally <laughs> includes uh, a female protagonist who has a mech, which is also is sort of quasi isekai, which is once again before you, which uh, we've been. I and I think Andy. No, no, Andy's Andy dropped it as Andy is wont to do. Um, <laughs> me and me and John mostly, but Jeff occasionally as well have been watching both for you, and it's still good, and it's still ridiculous, and it doesn't seem to be showing any sort of. I, I really wish John was here because, like, we had, like, we had. This I good, do every good, day too. We had this good talk about how. I, I enjoy how it keeps breaking the, the the game. Like it's it's basically like, oh dear God, wh- where was the testing on these features? Is you really didn't <laughs> think this through. And John, who bless his heart, works in the IT industry, is like, God damn it, it, it would, that would never get past me. That that should that should not exist. That is that is shit which would not go down. And I, I would say there are certain companies with reputations for incredibly broken games and and like. I can imagine these sort of things ha- happening in, in them. And so I, d- I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I think there's no reason why uh, someone who is already practically invulnerable should not uh, get a, a power which turns her into a giant uh, demon lizard, and <laughs> which she pilots like an Eva. And th- then to get a- another power which turns her into an angel, which projects a barrier which prote- protects anyone around her completely. And then get another power, which gives her a mech suit with a huge gun on the arm. And it's just, it's just like every time she she beats something, she just gets more and more powerful. <laughs> and it's just you've got the most clueless gamer with the most power. And she's just like all she wants to do with it is have fun and help her friends. And 
it's it's I think it's the sheer sort of nerd rage around someone else getting the drop you always wanted in a uh, <laughs> it's, it's, how dare you 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 get that that amazing weapon uh, that you don't even know how to use it you're so lucky and it's it's, you wrote, it's your old need when you should have rolled greed yeah hunter loot <laughs> no one else will get that but it's pure hunter loot um but yeah, i i just enjoy it as as it's just like it's joyful and it's happy to of to like there's this tradition in the way anime has approached his games as like these arenas for mastery like it's the characters we're we're shown and follow up always the ones who are the 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 ones who find one particular approach and just just you use all their gamer skills to become as as good as possible and control the fight and always one <laughs> step ahead and she's not that maple is just a happy go lucky first time gamer who has decided that oh i've lucked into this let's go with it and it's it's the joy of playing a game for the first time and it's it's just remains refreshingly great for that um, i like they were both such crusted over old men that were just like it makes me feel like i don't know all the anime <laughs> tropes that i do know <laughs> with with both escaflone and bofuri it's been it's been weird though that i've in the last two things i've been watching it and i've been seeing direct visual metaphors to eva like like in this light fantasy thing it's like they've had like her her giant um a monster thing basically almost shot for shot tears the tears another monster up like Eva eating uh, the the angel <laughs> and then the, then we have a bit where uh, someone's fighting someone and they protect uh, they project a shield and it's like a a, a set of uh, hexagons one on top of each other point, pointing out it's pure AT <laughs> field and I'm like god damn it I sort of respect that like, if you're going to steal, just steal blatantly, and I'll, I'll be okay with that. See, we'll cover this a lot, I think, in our uh, in our topic segment. But I do think it's... Like, the rules for, like, how you can do references in Japanese anime is so different from how... Like, it would be... Naming something by name is a lot easier in Western media than it is in Japanese media. But just outright taking a visual element that every single person who watches it will be like, oh, that's from Evangelion, is much less... Mm. Is much easier in Japanese in Japanese uh, anime than it is in like any sort of Western media. Like the visual elements are what they're defensive of, as opposed to just like oh, associating their name with this yeah. with this media work. I think one thing before he's he's good, and we'll come to this in another show, is that because it <laughs> roots its characters living in a real a real life outside the game, it can have them being aware of everything we are aware of all the the history of of the animation and the history of video games and the creators of this world being inspired by i mean there's a one of the first mmos was maple story and i'm pretty sure maple's named after the lead character before maple is named after maple story um mm. and it's this clearly that i think that reference to MMOs is just like this big communal mixing pot of newbies and experienced people and just anything can come out of it. And it's, it's yeah, I, I like it for its 
weird mix of knowingness and naivete, which mm-hmm. is, is strange. No, I, I think that one of the... Uh, I forget which one. I'll have to go find it since I'm now mentioning it. One of the Anime News Network reviews for an episode was just like, Bofri wouldn't work if it if it didn't have its like naivete and joy about playing a game. Like If, if the character was more intentional um, and more in control, it would be less... It would be less nice because it would just be an asshole breaking the game. <laughs> yeah, and and she is such a uh, just nice and joyful character, and it's 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 just enjoyable not to have a know it all as as your <laughs> your lead for once, and that that's that's such a a a, a, lead, a trope of isekai, which was like the. The establishing the rules of the world, and then the the constant mastering of that one one that one weird trick uh, Saburu knows, uh, and like uh-huh. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just refreshing. Um, but let, let's let's move on to the the other refreshing show. show right. This, speaking this. of refreshing shows airing this season, uh, so how do you feel about Isoken now that we're on the third arc? We have a, an arc basically for each of the characters. This is our third one. That's kind of looks like it has I mean, a, a bit of a Kan Kanamori focus. Kanamori, mini mini Mori, mini Chibi Mori. I can't believe they. Did, uh, Chibi is in the is in the U.S. lexicon. We don't have to translate Chibi as mini. Uh, uh, I don't know. Mini Mori's got a nice ca- cadence to it. <laughs> I like Mini Mori. It sounds good, but it just sounds like Minamori, which is an actual name. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, yes, I mean I. I liked the second arc, the the uh, five to eight, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Episodes five to eight about them putting on a giant robot and having to do a bit more like costing and discipline of working with other groups. And then I think this one's leaning even more towards like the last episode from uh, episode nine was focusing on the important thing of like having a good budget and having good social media and knowing what your audience wants and uh, it was nice to have Kanamori kind of explain that through an adorable backstory where she uh, works at a, her uncle's convenience store that closes down because he's not yeah. good at marketing it. Yeah. Well, that, he, that, he, that they just, like, the story is essentially, they they started off as a, a sake bureau, uh, brewery and the the her great grandfather uh, just cared more about the craft than uh-huh. selling it and so they went bankrupt because circumstances changed and people didn't want what they were selling and then they started just running in, in a, a store and no one then circumstances changed again and they didn't know how to adapt and by the time she came along and and had that business sense which i think is I think is interesting because sometimes, definitely in uh, Japanese media, businessmen are the businessman is the, is like the salaryman and mm-hmm. like this um, very much part of an organization and very much all about following the rules, following getting the figures right, just being like a, another cog in the machine. And Kanamori was just just like all guile, all like it's it's even remarked that she she was never good at maths. But uh-huh. that she was good at business, and right. like that—that's a a, a a good truism because like a, a salesman or woman who can who knows how who can listen to other people and can spot opportunities is just an essential thing for, for any business to work. Yeah, but also what I appreciate about that about 
basically the arc that that was ultimately about um what's her face the idol character <laughs> why don't i ever remember her name we always forget her name because she's like it's me it's like mizu it's mizu something isn't it or uh mizusaki uh the uh it was mostly about mizusaki discovering that like her parents didn't didn't care as much about controlling her life yeah, as nice. we thought they did and that was nice and now we kind of hear what kanamori's uh also, just a side note, and you probably should cut this because I hate every time I make the mistake of being horny for characters on the podcast and it becomes part of the lexicon. But the way that uh, Kanamori ties up her hair with her glasses to eat uh, is is justice. It is, it's, it's, it's a very good character detail that also looks great because I'm apparently Kion from the melancholy of Ruhi Suzumiya. But just having her... Because we think of her as this incredibly hard-nosed person who just has no has no sentiment, no feeling. It's about getting shit done. And then when she takes them to the fruit ramen stall in the dying uh, shopping arcade, and we're like, oh no, she actually does have a lot of empathy, but she shows like her love language is acts of service as mm. opposed to um, kind like words or you know whatever other kinds of ways. And like she she shows that she cares about these people by helping them because she knows that she's better than them at the things that she's good <laughs> at. So it's not it's not vain or megalomaniacal. It's just extremely practical in a way that's not very sexy for anime. But yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's been nice to see her her morph from just this hard nosed realist to like like the, the just before, the, the episode before that. There's this 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 lovely scene of like kind of. More, like you finally get a sense of of just how how hard she's been working like cuz all all along like she, there's always like this cliche oh the the boss never works hard it's always the it's all, always the poor goons who are, who are to the wheel working hard and getting uh-huh. all the the cells done and that and, and like it's be so easy just to think of her as the bossy one who makes the other two work but we get this sh- shot of her just they go out, she takes them out for noodles and and she just she eats her thing and she just lies down and they just put they, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and they put her her coat over her and it, it's it's sort of sweet and then she just gets up again and is like right we're getting on with it and it's it it just like this this nice moment of vulnerability for this this tough as nails character i i think also just generally this probably hasn't. Are you going to talk about Chirabako any any after the jump or um, or not particularly? No. You threatened to, so I, so I just wanted to check yeah. with that because I think that Shirabako it has a lot in common with Shirabako, not just because they're both anime about making anime, but because it feels very rare that any media about making media has sympathy for the money people. Mm, um, mm, and yeah. Shirabako generally has a very high opinion of its producers. You can tell that uh, that uh, he came up as the the director uh, came up as a as a PA uh, and like knows that like it's these people let the creatives be creatives. And I like that also in Isaken or Isaken that that Kanamori is shown very sympathetically, and that her her extreme unsentimentality her extreme results focused behavior um like infects uh what's her name asakusa mm-hmm. army hat girl uh <laughs> like but not in a way of like oh she crushed her dreams she's just like no normal people are going to watch that you need to watch you need to you can like let your imagination run wild, but make sure that whatever you end up doing, you're seeing it through the eyes of a normal person 
who just mm-hmm. wants to know what's going on and doesn't have your incredible imagination. And I think it would be very easy for a different anime to make that scene about like about Asakusa having to kind of like let go of her dreams a little bit. But yeah. instead, it's about like, oh, no, it's, it's like practicality em- enables creativity, because if you're all the way creative and none of the way practical, you will just draw like picture perfect cells and then have one sixteenth of an anime done by the time that the by the time that uh it's time to turn it in and like yeah, they make fun of that with where she there where she's like oh i'd rather do the backgrounds myself and she's like no you need to, you need to give them to the art club mm-hmm. and she's like yeah but they'll make mistakes and, and it'll take me too long to fix them and she's like no then you tell them what's wrong and they and they fix them and it's like oh no it's po- it's easier for me to do it and she's like no you have to to like let go i, I like how the, the the art club's completely one of the art club completely screws it up as well like he, he doesn't <laughs> listen at all and he's and like he's clearly the one who's just been who is like her reflection he's he's used yeah. to just just doing what he wants to do but it's her, his clubmate who listens to what's asked of her and then makes something which is considerate of what the needs of the people she's working with who yeah. were shown is is the is the good one the good member of the team and that that in those two we're, we're learning the the lesson that uh uh our, our wannabe director has to learn that she can't just do what she wants because look what this guy's doing. It, when anyone within a production just does what they want, it ruins it. Yeah. You, you need to have this collaborative attitude. And like we, we get the fruition of that in the latest episode where she's more from someone who just throws out her imagination onto the screen. And that's something Yuasa, the director of this show, is like a lot of his early works, people are like, wow, he's he's just putting it all out there and like this is i think an (laughs) acknowledgement from him like there's a craft to not just throwing whatever comes to your mind out there it's putting out what is needed to convey what you want to convey to someone and and going okay this shot will show this and this shot will imply this and that shot will will give them this little bit of information crafting together every little bit someone needs to make the connections which are which you can't help but see you have to spell out for them yeah i mean it does feel like and maybe this is a bit too high fluting it does feel like each of the trio are like parts of the necessary parts of a creative person to have the creativity Mm -hmm. to have the skill and to have the practicality like an anime won't won't get made if you don't have all three and I feel like it's very comforting that Kanamori is such a great presence in the show because I think it does go along with Yuasa kind of leveling out as a creator, not not in terms of his the the power of his output, but just in terms of like making sure that other people can see can see what you're going for rather than just doing like whack ass shit. I mean, he's, um, he's also putting out more shows. I think now. Yeah, he's got a movie that uh, that. Ogue Maniacs had a, a glowing review of the the surfing one. Yeah, because like he, for, like he st- he he started and they were out sporadically, and now he's just show after show after f- his output. Now is like just prolific, which you, which you wouldn't think think because he is as as we were saying just famed for being this like really expressive sort of messy director uh, in terms of his style and and you associate that with sort of not amateurism but like a disdain for um neatness and the rules but mm-hmm. i think what one of the things he's getting across here is that like it's those rules which enable him his freedom to have his freedom yeah yeah, yeah and it's 
I, I'm glad that I have this podcast so I can be on the record just just disparaging <laughs> Masaki Yuasa as just as just an unfocused guy who doesn't know how to say no to himself. Um, <laughs> and clearly, that's that's what's changed, and it's a really pleasant experience. And it's nice here to like see him give again the unsentimental like numbers person, like honestly, in some cases, like the best bits. Uh, mm. Where yeah, where we get to see everyone has multiple sides and that there are different ways that one can be a big, huge nerd about anime. Uh, Cause I mean, even before with a, uh, with a uh, fuck, have I already forgotten her name? Uh, Mizusaki. Uh, I mean, you're supposed to be good at this, Ben. I mean, I, I'm allowed to it, for some the reason. Cause like, the problem is that it remind is that her name is Mizusaki Tsubame. And my favorite director, the director of one of my favorite directors, the director of, uh, Shirabako and girls and Panzer is Mizushima Tsomu. So it's just like <laughs> the, uh, the first syllables of, of the first and last name are the same. And so I think of the name and I'm like, no, that's Mizushima. I'm just mixing up with Mizushima's name. Well, so they, they both have a, a for people <laughs> who love and are huge fans of something such as tankery or yes. animation <laughs> yeah what would or, you call yeah, such a person yeah, her her love of just watching her grandmother throw out the tea and just wanting to draw her throwing mm. out the tea but yeah so i guess we're going to go ahead and t- take that segue to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about otaku both male and female in anime And we're back. Well, to start things off, I'll go ahead and give a definition of otaku from Hiroki Azuma's uh, landmark book, uh, which I haven't read, but I have a friend who read, and I'm, <laughs> I skimmed through it before this podcast, uh, uh, Otaku, Japan's Database Animals, uh, where he defines otaku as a general term referring to those who uh, indulge in forms of sub- subculture strongly linked to anime, video games, computers, science fiction, films with extensive special effects, figurines, and so on as their primary form of intellectual and social engagement. So that's <laughs> that's a, a fairly dry definition, unsurprising given that uh, it sounds like the title the title for this section sounds like the title from a Genshiken episode, which are making fun of like dissertation type titles. The the figure of the postmodernist manifest in the structure of otaku culture. So, mm. uh, what do you what do you think of when you think of otaku, though, Duncan? I mean. I I don't know. Otaku is is a very weird thing. Like I, my immediate response, my instinctive response is negative. Like <laughs> it's that it is both a bad name to use about people and not necessarily a helpful one to use about yourself. That it kind of fetishizes above all else the devotion to your chosen. Uh, interest that 
it's it it has a emphasis on a purity and uh devotion to your chosen hobby which is un which by definition is unhealthy <laughs> and i think like that's 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 my overriding like feeling about the word and and when i get more into the weeds of the the two or three shows i'm going to talk about we'll mm-hmm. get into why i think that's harmful but overall i i feel like it's it's something which comes from a time when there was less room to to pursue these like i feel i feel like it's it's an anachronism and we'll we'll get into <laughs> get into why well yeah we we will we will because i do think that otaku originally comes up uh as a term uh within the subculture as an ironic way of referring to uh oneself an extremely extremely proper uh pronoun uh, which was either ironic or snobby depending on what kind of person you were going to <laughs> but as uh as anime manga figs tokusatsu stuff moved beyond youth subculture as the people grew up uh, mm. it has kind of been mainstreamed and it has faced a similar difficulties coming of age because of the series of uh, the otaku murderer uh, Stomu Miyazaki and then Kaoru Kobayashi a few years later are these people who uh, they're extremely sadistic and deviant killings were blamed on being immersed in these fantasy worlds and it had to kind of grow beyond that towards uh the cool japan movement in the in the mid 2000s but i think that there are interesting parallels uh, i know that you have a few parallels outside mm. of 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 nerd slash fan culture but even within the apotheosis of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Marvel and Star Wars as and Game of Thrones as perfectly normal things for normal people to be very mm-hmm. much into. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the otaku branding and the fact that anime still very much and very often make shows about being a friendless nerd or a nerd who's only friends with other friendless nerds. Uh, it's very interesting to watch these these parallel kind of contrasting developments go about. Mm. And I think an- another thing which is worth saying, it very often makes shows about being a young friendless nerd. It's <laughs> like, I think Otaku does have a fascination with youth, both in the the characters it idolizes and the idols uh, as well, and just in youth associations with... Uh, innocence and like uh, yeah no no i i agree and there isn't there is i think a lot of like youth culture derived mainstream culture is rooted in in nostalgia and i don't know how it is in the uk but here there's a reason that like the classic rock station um or something that plays stuff from like the late 50s through the mid 70s just dominates because mm, mm. Uh, because like that is we want to go back to, we want to do exactly what I described when I talked about the feeling of watching Escaflone, of like, go back to be 17 and just feeling like, oh man, there's so much stuff out there I could watch. So I do think there is nostalgia, but I do know that there are other shows, increasing shows, that cover being an otaku as a function of being an adult. We have Genshiken, uh, which 
literally has characters entering college and then eventually graduating from college and then Motokoi, which is actually them in the workplace. I know mm. that you made a, a a study of the latter of those shows. Yeah. I mean, Mike's sort of attempt to to come to terms with uh, Ataku has been grounded upon trying to think what its Western equivalent is. Because <laughs> to me, um, the, the interesting thing about uh, anime's uh, take on Ataku is often it's about being a fan. It's not about being the hero. Mm-hmm. And that's like a very strange thing in Western culture. Very, very rare. Like even in things we associate with being um, big, very niche things like video games, like you'll, it's always like the pro player. It's not the guy who follows an esports team, right? And that, and trying to find the the the, the touch points where people are just allowed to be fans, where the thing which is interesting about them, and which the 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 show off movie is interested in is their fandom has been actually quite difficult and it's it's led me back to weirdly enough as you were saying rock like (laughs) the like wayne's world back in back in the 90s we have um things like wayne's world and empire records which are distinctly about fans about people who's who literally just like bow down in front of their heroes just saying we are not worthy <laughs> we are not worthy and like this this idea like that fandom is the important thing it's 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 worthy on its own regardless of what you are a fan of it's just that that devotion in itself has 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 worth and that in turn led me to the, the first thing i'm going to talk about which is uh, a a 1991 uh, OVA by uh, Gainax, which is Otaku no Video. Um, <laughs> the infamous Otaku no Video. Have you have you seen it as well, Ben? I think you uh, have, I watched you? it. I must have watched it right after because I was when I discovered Blue Blazes. I think this was actually around the time when we first began the podcast, like way back in mm-hmm. episode zero zero. Because of course we <laughs> we did dumb shit like that, but mm-hmm. um, but. I liked Blue Blazes and I liked that it had this extremely personality focused story of how the like Gynax came to be and became to be this this behemoth of the anime industry before being reduced by a million cuts to its current pretty pathetic state. And Gynax stops right with them uh right with them making the video for Daikon four, which is this these are these videos for this this uh this sci-fi fan convention, um, but they're these massive pastiches of all these different fan fan elements, and because of that, I went out and found the Notenki memoirs, which are written by Takeda, who was one okay. of the the founding people. I think he was he was in control of the Garage Kit wing mm-hmm. um, of Gainax, which is how they started out making their money is with these vinyl kits uh, that you could like build and paint and bash together. And the last missing part of that, because he he skips over some stuff, is oh, Otaku no Video, which is literally Gynax making a fictionalized version of how they came to be. Uh, yeah. And from your reaction, it must have been more fictionalized than I remember it being. Because I remember it being like mostly fine until we get like the theme park and stuff. It's. Uh, it's... But you reacted strongly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean I watched. I think like. 
um, I think a, a, st- a strong undercurrent in, in like um, people who first discover a new genre is like you, you go out, you find one director you like, you get, then watch anything to do with it. And so I watched Attack on a Video for the first time. 10, 15 years ago. And at the time, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, yeah, this is weird. This is this is slightly strange. And I've gone back and I've revisited it now, and it, I was kind of just a bit disappointed and, like, also <laughs> found it a bit... Its attitude a bit... Uh, yeah, very much of its time and, like, something which has been left behind because Attack on a Video is a show which both lionises and loathes Attackos. Mm. Like, it's its protagonist, uh, Kubo, he's... he. We start off seeing him as just, like, a perfectly normal salary man. He's, he's just working a nine-to-five job, going out having drinks with his mates. And then, by chance, he just runs into an old friend and they reconnect about the stuff he enjoyed in his youth. And from there, he, he begins this, like spiral into a takudum at the cost of everything else in his life that there's this sense that he's he's electing to pursue this at the cost of everything else he 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 goes from like just a normal functioning member of society to like a complete shut-in almost hermit-like, just ex- excluding himself from uh-huh. the rest of the world, dedicating himself to his study of the the holy texts of his new religion, to this almost evangelical head of a company going forth of, like, saying, we shall become the o- Ota kings, the most otaku otakus, shining exemplars to the world of what... A- of a, someone who has forsaken normal society in that and just completely devoted themselves to what is being a otaku, which is and, which is Ota King is a very overt reference to uh, Toshi Okada, who uh, was one of the founding members of Gainax, uh, and was like is now kind of an academic and lecturer. Uh, for for Weird. Uh, yeah he, he well he laid down the Ota King title because he wasn't interested in staying engaged and now mostly he complains that stuff's not as good as it used to be uh, <laughs> which is I think the role of every uh, declining uh, media critic but yes yeah, so it's a very that the o- the Ota King thing is a very deliberate reference to Toshi Okada um, who is in blue blazes and is is portrayed as an extremely like weird and mm-hmm. socially stunted person who lives off his parents' money and his parents are people who make like fake like what's the little alligator Lacoste the little alligator yeah, T-shirts Lacoste, they, they yeah. like they, they they like forge designer label uh, clothes and it's like very very profitable yeah. and, so. and that's that's the th- the second thing which we're getting gonna get to which is the other thing which which held the these 90s treatments together is that they're not just lionizing their 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 fan the fans they are they they are very much contemptuous of them and attacking a video is more overt about this than almost anything else because Otaku no Video is cut through almost segment by segment, one to one with interviews with Otaku real footage of real people talking real, about... Real should be in scare quotes but yes. Well yeah so in, some, <laughs> in some cases they were real interviews, in some cases they were um, staged interviews, it it's depends on and 
on the person. Like some of them were supposedly real, and some of them were okay. This is a a, a, a cliche of an attacker we want to to get across, and like they're just like the they're portrayed as the worst of the worst. They're, there's the guy who's sh- ashamed of his 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 cosplay. There's the guy who just has been trying to invent a machine to to get rid of the mosaics on porn. There's the guy who <laughs> steals cells from uh, anime studios. It's like all the worst traits that a human can exhibit in themselves is on show. And it's like this strange thing, like Otaku no Video doesn't see any reconciliation with the real world and with anime. Right. Like in the its anime sections, it the, the triumph of the otaku is glorious and... Uh, predestined and it's this noble cause and in its real world sections it's wretched and squalid and <laughs> lacking any of the comradeship and fulfillment which it shows in its animated sections and it's like in some ways i like that's that's really cutting and Im- important in sort of observation to make like but also it's just only important to make when if you accept that initial assumption that the only way to do, pursue and under, and experience these uh, hobbies is for them to be all-consuming. Yeah. And that's not right. That's, well, I mean, that's, I think it is definitely... It, it, it seemed like the natural response in the late 80s and early 90s when being an otaku kind of had a, a monsters and mazes phase, uh, which is, you know, the, the infamous mazes and monsters phase, which is the infamous thing that... Uh, made-for-TV Tom Hanks movie um, about, like, people getting so into Dungeons & Dragons that they mm-hmm. that they try to, you know, assassinate people that they've become confused and think are the, are the wizards and that the two towers from Tolkien are, mm-hmm. the, are the twin towers in New York. And, yeah, it's... So I think that there is this kind of, like, I've accepted being a loner because I love anime uh, sort of kind of self-hating pride surrounding it. And I think, honestly the mainstream penetration of otaku over the the 90s and two th- and 2000s is rebuilding those as, instead of like going off into the wilderness to appreciate your <laughs> to appreciate your 2D girls alone about coming together and kind of recreating society and eventually re-entering society as groups of people who are mutually supporting with their interests and that's a very common theme in the stuff that I watched yeah i think in the the 2000s it, there definitely was a shift towards um, like there was still a, a there was a, there was this acknowledgement of the 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 problems with it, but also uh, a beginning to accept and to show that okay, you can grow within this that mm-hmm. y- you that accepting this idea is not something you have to do that. The the one I I focused in on was um, something we've already covered in a full spotlight, which is magical shopping ca- arcade Arbaneshi, <laughs> Um which is your favorite anime. <laughs> I, it's I did adore it because it is just it was like coming as a, a move as it is hundred percent nerd fuel for like two thirds its length. It is just throwing you every reference under the sun with gorgeous animation and just letting you wallow in it but it what made me now a lot of that has aged badly and a lot of it is horribly sexist and but (laughs) the bit which has aged well is its end 
where it's it says you've been constructing this everlasting boyhood where you're obsessions are a blanket which you block out the rest the real world and the tragedy of a a death and this reconciliation at the end that no fandom should ever be the be all and end all of a person Mm -hmm. that in the end people the right thing to do is give it is to let it be there for when you need it but and to enjoy it but for, for, to be able to step out and say these are the people and things which are important to me and like that was a small step and it mm-hmm. still still fundamentally didn't really acknowledge it as something which could coexist um uh healthily but it still had this idea that okay you can grow through this and it doesn't have to be this hermit-like existence it can just be a a refuge for when the world is tough but one which you have to eventually exit yeah Um, i i think that's interesting that that otaku interests start out as a disqualifier from normal society and then become something that you have to navigate uh to to be part of normal society and then eventually once you get to like Ori Emo uh or or Princess Jellyfish, um they become a conduit where if if you have trouble relating to people, then you can relate to people over your anime interests and eventually they are the training wheels that will let you be a normal person who can go outside and talk to strangers. Um even in Welcome to the NHK has a lot of that too. Yeah. Uh, of of using of using your nerd interest as a stepping stone to being able to talk to people about shit. It's a, it's an interesting mm-hmm. evolution because I do think that ultimately you're right that uh, magical shopping arcade of Binabashi um, is about leaving behind childish things. And it clearly thinks that like all otaku interests are those. And that's definitely not the case now where uh Genshi can, especially the second season of Genshi can, which is overtly about like, well, what happens when you have a job, you graduate from college, you have a job, you don't have the free time to like go to Kamiket or to read tons of manga or watch tons of anime, but it doesn't see the solution um, to that problem to just like never watch an anime again, which I think is a bit more of a development. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the notorious Arimo. So, <laughs> yeah, I, man. So this is not related to what we're talking about, but Oriemo, um, uh, also called My Little Sister Can't Be This Cute, is about a brother who discovers that his sister, uh, his popular blonde sis- sister, I'm shaking uh, my head, who is, a, who is a model, um, and... and I hate to say that I like I hate to say this word. She's a huge bitch. She's a, she's just a, like a massive. Like we've talked about tsundere types, and they're like, oh, they pretend to hate you, but they but they actually love you. This is the tsundere type that became incredibly popular in the mid to late two thousands, where she's just always mean to you. Like you know, the audience knows through kind of 
dramatic irony that she actually loves the protagonist a lot, but she never actually acts nice to him. We just know that abstractly she's in love with him, and that's why she is mean to him every single moment of every single day. But mm. um, he discovers, uh, because she drops her bag and a uh, an anime DVD falls out, uh, and inside the anime DVD case is a is a brother sister hentai video uh and so he like ends up having to take responsibility for that and then they find out he finds out that she actually like is a huge h game player and so she has him play these h games because she's like these are really important to me uh and he's like well i'm not gonna not gonna play a game about sister fucking on your recommendation she's like okay i have the all-age versions they have no they have no erotic content and so he plays those and they gradually become friends and she he encourages her to go out and like meet other people and she makes all these friendships from people who are also like anime loners but the thing that really surprises me is for being a show that is primarily the primary appeal is sister fucking they really wait a long time to get you any sort of payoff in that respect <laughs> and in one sense i'm glad because that's gross but <laughs> on the other sense say. but on the other but on the other hand like it can't even do there's so many good ish things about ori emo mm. that are undermined because it has lacks the conviction of execution. Some of that may be like censorship rules, but it is neat to go. And she like signs. She's like, uh, she's like, I can't know how to meet people. So we'll go onto like an image board or like a, a message board and just see, like find a group and group meet up and go to that. And she's like, Oh, those don't exist. And they wouldn't want to have me anyway. And then she goes on a board and is immediately like contacted, um, by, uh, by this girl, uh, who, who wears like the big like swirly coke bottle glasses and like a like a hachimaki <laughs> and she's always got like a backpack that's like full of wall scrolls and manga volumes that she takes out and reads and she, they run this like uh, otaku girls rise up uh meetup group and she gets to meet like all these people and like the the girl running those who has the very charming uh habit of calling people sh- using the the honorific she which means someone that you're aware of their writings but haven't met them personally which is an old-fashioned way to refer to someone that you you met online, mm-hmm. uh, and just like she's very funny. And Kuro Neko, the the goth, lowly, slightly chuny, chuny bio artist uh, who insists that she's like a, a thousand-year-old vampire when actually she's just a, a high school girl like everyone else. Uh, like you have these great characters, and the problem is that the main character um, is someone who should be normal but is not normal because of her otaku interests, and it's about both make getting her to make peace with the fact that she likes things that aren't supposed to be popular for for like a mainstream girl who has you know like lots of friends and is popular at school and has good grades and is a model um making her making her reconcile with those while also like kind of getting her to bring to drag all her friends out into the sunlight and into the mainstream which is something that you see a lot in like say princess jellyfish which the whole plot Mm. is about like getting these nerd girls to leave their apartments and actually go meet people and have real functioning social lives so the the question i i wonder when you when you talk about uh it worries me that some of the ways you 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 talk about makes me think of uh um railgun and uh Misaka's relationship with T- Tuma and like her being like uh, another one of these uh uh who who just does not show the any affection to their love just constantly hates on them yeah yeah and i i sort of wonder like 
the moment a series is, is produced where that's took out, i.e. I, the, the good railgun series, <laughs> is, is when you remove T- Toma from the, 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 the equation. So would, would Oromo I'd, he'd be a better show if it was the brother was just not in it and it was just a, a show about a girl going out and making friends? Yeah, I. it's hard to say because... Because that's sort of Princess Jellyfish. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think that Princess Jellyfish is unsurprisingly a better, even though it's very short at only 11 episodes and kind of rapidly covers the first major arc. And supposedly goes the other way in the end, Uh, turns into a romance. Yeah. Well, that always happens. Mm -hmm. But, uh, But ultimately, the fact that uh, the main character in Ori Emo, like, just treats his sister differently, and that like people don't understand why he lets this girl who's terrible to him walk all over him, and eventually they get fake married because like never talk about Ori Emo without mentioning that he and his sister get pretend married uh, <laughs> at the end of I the show. The barely restrained rage, uh, but like. He meets Kuroneko has feelings for him and they date for a while and, and then she breaks up with him, um, hoping to hurt him bad enough that he will become distant from his sister because she says he's that his main goal is to like is to like midwife this guy into a normal social relationship uh, with his sister and not secretly want to fuck her. Uh, but she fails and then his childhood best friend ends up confessing that like like she's like oh i've always loved you we should date you shouldn't date your sister um and this is seen as like this is portrayed as like selfish and way out of line and she's like ridiculed and like drops out of the show after that and he marries his sister so i do i think that actually they do kind of complicate it it's just you have to assume that the protagonist is not is not the protagonist to to kind of swallow it well i think toma is just like just a gross oily film that gets all over everything he interacts with. While I do like the main character whose name is obviously escaping me uh, in Ori Emo because he is mm. the one like driving his sister, like be a normal person, like just fucking tell people you watch anime. And she's like, no, people will judge me and not be my friends. And he's like, then find people who watch anime so that they can't judge you. And mm. it's very, it's very unsubtle in, in that sort of like an otaku's healing journey into a normal, per- in, into a normal member of society and I guess a lot of the joke is that Kirino because I do remember the sister's name because I'm cursed uh, that Kirino um, I forgot my point because I had to brag about remembering her name uh, that she, like, it, like I think I think a lot of the jokes in in Ori Emo are the fact that Kirino looks like a looks like a normal person but has these otaku interests uh, and so you kind of get these like multiple layers of irony of like well is it a joke or not a joke that she's a normal looking person who had who like obsessively plays age games. She like piles up every, every porn game she's played and it's like, it reaches the ceiling. Um, and then he's like, Oh wow, they're all such small boxes too. And she's like, Oh yeah, I've got the big box ones too. And she brings up another <laughs> stack of it. And yeah, see, it's that kind of humor. Um, I can't believe my little sister watches this, this much porn. Um, but, uh, to, to, to clown on the title, that's not a statement from me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that show showing, from the sound of things does relate to the wider otaku trend of of like this assumption on that characters and sort of concepts need to need to be um pure the the sort of first girl rule like mm-hmm. the idea that complicated things are bad that it, it, you have to go for the the simple first choice like 
But the, so this this is the, this is the the first first girl he falls in love with obviously has to be the one he ends up with because anything outside that would just be chaos absolute madness how could we have this happen there are stock rules i mean that kind of reminds me of and you're going to groan at this psychano where the whole the main axis of the joke is yeah that like each character is kind of vaguely aware of their of what trope they're falling into and they advocate for that for that trope when (laughs) making the game like the the twin tales childhood friend is like no like like experience is really important so like it's important <laughs> and it's like okay and then the the girl the cuter a girl he just met is just like no chance meetings and destiny are what's or what's really important so i do think that there is this this awareness of like how otaku tropes kind of poison reality or at least poison your way to perceive reality yeah. because i think that like in a fundamental sense and i'm gonna probably regret saying this i think that the tsundere archetype uh, is popular because it lets you pretend that girls that are mean to you actually like you. And I think that that is often yeah. the case uh, with yeah. a lot of the popular, like, fan, like, cutere, girls who are cold to you actually like you. Dandere, girls who are shy and ignore you actually like you. Mm-hmm. Yandere, girls who want to murder you actually want to want to be in love with you. <laughs> and I think that that even even with that i think it's like the poss it's not even necessarily that they do that it's it's about the possibility right it's, it's got about... a liminal a liminal sense to it which i think is a lot of how otaku social relationships are just being on the mm. fringes of stuff yeah and like i think that's a, a good point to to bring us to like the what i think is like the modern evolution of the otaku show which is uh watakoi love is hard for otaku apparently but the what has this was a 2018 show and what fundamentally sets it out is that it sees hobbies and things as that as things that can you can enjoy and you can participate in while holding down a job and having a good good functioning relationship with someone that they are not the totality of someone's identity right that they are a component an important component and maybe one which defines the way they built the rest of their identity but that they are f- they are just that a component and it's it was just an, for me in an out in the same way i was i was saying how Bofori's um, optimism was refreshing. Like, similarly, Watakoi's acceptance of fandom as a healthy part of, of, of someone's life was just nice. As an as an adult who who watches anime, you seeing adults watch anime and just be functional was just like, wow, they're not kids, they're drinking, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're working, they're... They're hanging out together with their their partners, and it's just it's just very much the mature version of Ataku. In as as that generation has aged and and now just have jobs and have have lives and partners, that they have reconciled that they don't need to be these uh, purest devotees to gaming or to anime or to manga or whatever it's just another part of who they are and i think that's just fundamentally a really good message to to be putting out there just like a a really normal 
and accept like there's so much backlash now against the normalization of um niche hobbies like games and anime like just like people going oh well fake fake gamer girl and stuff like that yeah and like watakoi is so accepting of everyone on in its cast and their different levels of engagement and this idea that you do not have to be as hardcore a into a particular thing as another person to understand mm-hmm. and respect their interest in it that you can spend time with them and let them enjoy it and they can do the same with your interests it's it's, it's like give and take and just normal fucking adult behavior <laughs> god damn it yeah yeah i forget have you seen genshiken yeah it's i, I wonder if, i wonder if you might like to come back to it because it does also has that sort of thing and i think it has an important complication on like otaku being like nice cozy little friends with each other because they all have nerdy interests is that like that genshiken also works really hard to complicate that narrative like every group has bullies it's not just that it's not just that otaku friendship circles are like a trial run for going into mainstream society. It's that they contain all the complicated and difficult things, the the bully friend, the like kind of backstabber friend, people that Mm. want different things. And I think honestly, the, the end of the second core of the, of Genshiken as opposed to Genshiken Nidame, which is the next generation of people, um, which does have a very strong arc about like bullying abuse within otaku circles. But the second core of the, of the first show, just plain old Genshiken also just involves like two people working on a dojin that almost doesn't happen because one person doesn't want to boss the other person around, but feels like they have to. And the other person works less hard if he feels like he's being bossed around and they kind of just get in this feedback loop. And there are these like normal people, normal people problems experienced by people who just happen to be Mm. otaku is something that I really, I mean, obviously we both really like it. Like they're adults. These are people who are, you know, 22, 23 years old and Genshiken and who are in their mid to late twenties in Wotakoi. And they just, you know, you can go home and watch a ton of anime and you still have problems like paying the bills or like what other other stressful thing is kind of impinging on your life. Yeah, it's I think otaku is a, is a word which I think at, at the t- time of its conception was was needed in a way and which maybe isn't anymore, which it maybe describes something which is historic and which does not truly exists in the same way now and i'm not sure that's a bad thing no i don't think so i mean i think it's nice to as much as i do think it's kind of tedious to have all these anime that are just about like being nerdy and having like just special social experience specifically because of what type of tv show you happen to watch like i I'm glad that it's getting that's getting mainstreamed and that the self-referentiality is being kind of built out. Honestly, I think that you get more like nerds and elite race of people from from isekai now that like you don't really need to have yeah. shows about how special otaku are um, or how persecuted otaku are because now you have otaku who get persecuted and they get reborn <laughs> in a fantasy world where they're yeah. the strongest person ever. And there's there's the hero, the otaku as hero that you said was missing from earlier stuff. 
and I think think that's partly why I, I've I've enjoyed um, both of you so much, and like why the the show I'm I'm looking forward to um, uh, the most next season is a uh, uh, otomi game uh, isekai, which is all about someone. And going into a world where she's the finds herself the villain uh-huh. and try and basically yeah I hope that pans out <laughs> it's it's such a good good manga and I hope the show does it justice because it's as you say it's the it's the opposite it's it's yes she's going in with with this full knowledge of how the genre works and this which the audience shares but like a lot of it is about how her trying to game the system actually leads to her then just connecting with people and then just her own kindness and and personality leading to her being a good person and instead of all her contrived ways of of knowing how the system works that's what what gets her uh her through it's just her her innate kindness and wanting to help these people who have become her friends and like yeah that's 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 what the that's a a good a good thing to have because fundamentally he who who you play games with is as important as the games you play yeah that kind of reminds me of the uh the uh in uh dragon maid uh the the male dragon dude that like moves oh, in yeah. with her coworker and like they just hang out together and like her coworker doesn't really give a crap that he's a dragon he's just like yeah well, we play dragon games maids, all the time yeah dragon maids perhaps the uh, uh, another actually good otaku as functioning adults one because as to some extent <laughs> there are other characters that are not functioning adults and in, in, that, uh, that, that is true the the accounts which are neither adult nor functioning <laughs> yeah it's it's been interesting to, to to think about that for this topic because there are so many shows they're just like oh there's shows about otaku but i enjoy that we've kind of gotten to a place and this is partially just changing changing generational and genre pressures and also probably responsible for like from cool japan and the attempt to normalize anime and manga as like major japanese cultural exports but now like a lot of shows have the sort of message of like yeah, video games and anime are cool, but have you tried being nice to people? <laughs> and, and like, I know wholesome is getting overused as kind of a as a generalized descriptor for that sort of content. But yeah, I like how wholesome Wotakoi is, uh, and how and how mature it is, and how the drama comes from normal concerns. Um, they just happen to be framed differently because the people who are experiencing those concerns are such huge nerds, but not like doomed to not survive in society through some yeah. melodramatic uh, otaku no video way yeah who would have, who would have thought that um uh, adults who watch a lot of anime would uh, like shows about uh, adults who are functioning and watch a lot of anime that's true that's true but it, it is interesting that that it's come from like this kind of joking but not joking self-hate to kind of just a thing yeah. that people are interested mm, in it's not mm. a defining trait yeah I think that that is that that abandonment of the self-loathing is an important thing and like makes me like genuinely ha- ha- hopeful for the direction that the, the fandom's going and uh, cool that seems like a great a wholesome place to wrap up our, our discussion mm. um, and yeah I don't know are there any big like otaku ish anime coming out in the next few next few seasons I feel like I don't um... know what's coming out anymore 
Let's just see. tired all the time. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, dear. Um, I don't <laughs> think... Uh, I mean, apart from, as I said, um, all routes lead to Doom next season, yeah. um, which is the uh, Otome uh, game Isekai, which I mentioned. Um, I don't think there's, like, a... a I mean, like, obviously, Isekai has just took over freaking yeah. everything. I mean, t- um, Isekai has cannibalized fantasy anime, they're cannibalizing video game-themed anime, mm-hmm. and, like, they're cannibalizing otaku anime, too, so, yeah. So maybe we'll just have John come on and tell us about Isekai later on in the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, remember... Rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I still, I don't have a Mac and I don't use iTunes, so I can't say what that is. But if you are on it, search for Keyframes, a podcast about anime, and give us a review. It can be five stars. We'd love that. It can be one star. Tell us what we need to improve. We just want ratings. Um, (laughs) Find us on Twitter, at KeyframesPod. Find us on Facebook, search for KeyframesPodcast. Email us questions. Uh, you know from last episode what we have coming up. We have kaiju and we have uh, magical girl idols. So write us in thoughts about those. Um, and remember, tell a friend. Use the power of this nerdy anime podcast to relate with a nerd, and you can both help each I other roll. enter normal society that way. <laughs> we're old school in that respect. We're much more we're much more Ori emo than we are Rotakoi. <laughs> no, no, Ben. Say goodbye, we're Duncan. Not. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.